Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. There are almost 100 of them across the state serving everything from fresh fruit and vegetables to local cheeses. We're talking farmers markets and we're visiting the biggest one in the state in Coventry. Plus we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. According to the Connecticut Department of Agriculture's website, there are almost 100 farmers markets that can be found in virtually any town seven days a week across the state. They provide farmers with direct access to their local community and buyers of their goods, as well as other vendors supplying everything from cheese to baked goods, flowers and plants and textiles. The popularity of farmers markets has continued to rise, and especially during the recent COVID-19 pandemic, when they offer people the ability to get out and get local produce when many supermarkets and other food stores were having supply chain issues. I decided to go and visit the biggest farmers market in the state, which just happens to be in eastern Connecticut in the town of Coventry, which is also celebrating its 20th anniversary this year, and spoke with market managers Erica, Heather and Melissa. So we are at the Coventry Farmers Market. Erica, I'm going to come to you first. Coventry Farmers Market, 20 years is your anniversary this year. You must be super excited. We are super excited. 20 years, of course, is a big benchmark year for any kind of project. And this one started out as a project with the Town of Coventry Economic Development Commission. And they wanted to see if a farmer's market could thrive in our town and started out as a small project. One of our market managers, Jean Cardinale, was an intern during her master's work in public administration. And she was put in charge of figuring this all out. So she set up a really little quaint cute farmer's market right in town. It was very popular. It had about a dozen vendors and eventually one little food truck that's local too. And from there it grew. uh, In the next three years it grew into a bigger enterprise and needed more space because it was too popular. And it was actually held right here in town at the Glass Museum, which some people remember is off of Route 44 on the way to Yukon. And now of course we're at the Nathan Hale Homestead and that's owned by Connecticut landmarks and there are landlords and now we're here so about maybe three or four years after that beginning period we moved over here and it moved into nonprofit status and it stayed there for about mm, seven eight years I would say and then transitioned back to the town so that's where we are today and that's when my position was created and, and I took over as market manager. What's it like being the biggest farmer's market in the state of Connecticut? We're here in eastern Connecticut which is a beautiful part of the state. Many things we've got the quiet corner all sorts of things and you hold the title as the biggest farmer's market in Connecticut. 
Yeah, we do. It's pretty pretty crazy. We, we never expected it to be so big. It's exciting. It's a big weight to carry. We are the biggest, but there are an awful lot of markets right on our heels who are growing too. And I think the popularity of markets in general is really great. It's important to support the local economy, but markets give it give an easy way for people to come out and actually make their purchases with local vendors and people who produce their own goods rather than just reselling them. So we've got two other ladies with us here today. They're part of what you call a transition sort of team. So let's talk to the lady on my left here. Tell me what your role's going to be and I mean obviously you're not totally new I'm guessing to the farmers market. No Melissa and I started back in I think it was early September where we came and we shadowed what Erica and Jean did for the remaining season so we got our feet wet and now we have taken on over a little bit more responsibility but still we have them to assist us you know every step of the way. So we're very excited to be taking on this role and look forward to only making the market better and bigger and more successful. Heather, why did you want to get involved in it, you know, in a, in a bigger scale? Well, I'm a Coventry resident and I've actually been coming to the market since it was at the Glass Museum. So I've seen it grow and... You know, it's just a wonderful event. My children, my family, they come and volunteer. It's just a, it's a nice thing to do as a family every Sunday. And turning to Melissa, tell us a little bit about your background as well for the Coventry Farmers Market. Uh, sure. I'm a local business owner in town. I own uh, preserved antiques on Main Street. So I was happy to get involved and help all the small businesses out in the field and the farmers connect with their customers. How will your role grow? Because you're, you're going to be so like buddying up with, uh, with Heather here. Yep, we're going to continue to learn through the season. Um, one thing you don't recognize until you get into this is that it all looks like it goes very easy, but there is so much work involved to make it look like this. So every week we're learning, we're taking on new tasks, and we're happy to be here. I was going to say, it is something that people don't appreciate because we get plenty of farmers markets. We've also got the agricultural fairs coming up as well. Those, of course, are only once a year and you're doing it every week for quite a few months. You're you're smiling, Gary. You know, how tough a challenge is it? It's a very tough challenge, and you're right. Melissa totally hit on the head, and Heather did too. As we're going, when I talk about a transition, we realized... One person with a helper is not enough. So we really wanted to expand the team that that manages it. And as we're going through it, we're realizing how many details there are and how it's so difficult to relay all of the information to anybody in in one sitting or even a dozen sittings or whatever. (laughs) One thing that I think is, is really important to acknowledge is that we rely on a very big number of volunteer hours every Sunday. We, we require between 60 and 80 volunteer hours to set up, run the market, run the parking field, and do all the cleanup. So it's a lot of volunteer time that we really, really need and we couldn't do without our volunteers. So there are, there are the three of us who are, are two and a half of us who are paid a little bit, but it's really a labor of love. And, and that's like the biggest thing of all is, is it ends up attracting kids, adults, seniors, everybody just really wants to contribute and be a part of something that feels good. And I think especially following COVID, that's something that we all are really see- seeking and, and trying to find in our daily lives. 
So COVID times threw really threw us for a loop. We were coming out of 2019, which was a really strong market year. We had the highest attendance. We had almost 85,000 people in 22 weeks. So each market is three hours long, and we have 22 of them, which is 66 hours. So we and we average between 2,500 and 5,000 people, depending on our theme. So when we looked at at how successful 2019 was, we were really excited about 2020. And then COVID hit right in the middle of our preseason planning. And at that point in the pandemic, it was really unknown how much worse it was going to get. So we opted to be very conservative and and on the safe side, just go with the drive-through market, which a lot of people hated. And it really made us appreciate how community comes together in the market fields versus just picking up your food. It's an experience and that experience was lost for that one year. So we struggled with that. We struggled with convincing people that they should still come and purchase, but also questioned our own decision making and and wondered, are we doing the right thing? And we think in in hindsight, we did do the right thing. We have a lot of senior citizens who are volunteers and everybody's health is is important and we didn't want to risk that. That being said, we're really happy to be back in 2021, and we've um, just picked right back up. We spaced out the field when we came back, and it's it's continued to grow again, and we're rivaling right now our 2019 numbers, so we're really happy with the beginning of this season so far. And, and in a lot of ways, it's turned out to be an incubator for small businesses who aren't big enough to have maybe a storefront or, or a bigger venue. They get a chance to really test things out with a bigger crowd, and I, I would challenge anybody to find a location where you're going to get 4,000 people walking by you in three hours. So it's a, it's, it's very intense. We have a lot of requirements. We hold a high standard, and, and those are the vendors we have in our field. And they produce 100% of what they make, and it's all made right here in Connecticut or grown here in Connecticut. And that's the other thing as well, isn't it, that we found during COVID is that there were supply chain issues. There are still supply chain issues, even though hopefully we're starting to see the back of COVID. So things like farmers markets really helps to sort of like buoy the local economy to a certain degree, because like you said, grown here, you know, it was still being grown. It's not like people stopped growing things. So, I mean, and they still had to sell it. So, I mean, it, it was great for people to be able to, to come, obviously, to farmers markets, um, you know, for, for that purpose. We're just going to say for the listeners, in case listeners are wondering, if they're hearing banging and music and stuff, we're actually in a, a, one of the many sort of like barns here at the farmers market on a beautiful sort of like June day as well. I know the three of you are appreciating sitting in the uh, in the cool for a while, having a little chat. We will be walking around the uh, the farmers market as well. Heather, let me just quickly get back to you. I mean, people coming to the farmers market. I mean, it's obviously good for the locals. How far and wide do people come? Do you know? Because I mean, it's got such a good reputation and a well known name. I mean, this is my first time and it's impressive just driving in but I'm guessing there are people that come quite far and wide based on the reputation well it's funny if you go into the parking lot obviously you'll see a lot of Connecticut license plates but you'll also see New Jersey New York um, Pennsylvania and um, we do have at the start of this each season we do have a market bag where we've actually been keeping track of those that have signed up to be a member of our organization where they've come from so we've had people come from past Waterbury to come and I think Terryville was the town the furthest away so far and so if you buy this market bag for $35 you um, can go through our market and each vendor there's some sort of a discount so for somebody from Terryville to want to come to Coventry buy the bag first and then come to Coventry you know four or five times and that's huge 
And Erica, you were saying about new vendors, new small businesses, but of course also you've got, you know, older vendors. And when I say older, you know, they've been with you for a while. I don't know if you or Melissa want to talk about, you know, some of the vendors that have been with you for a very long time. Sure. Uh, In the field, we have Paul from 18th Century Purity Farm. He has been here since the very beginning, so 20 years. Uh, Lizzie, the food truck, she as well. Oh, Bill Soleil. So Soleil and Sons, the bread company, and Cato which makes cheese. They've all been here for 20 years. Well, it's been great talking to you. I know you're busy. You need to get back and do things. I know one of you is very kindly going to walk me around and we're going to have a little chat to some vendors and obviously chat to some customers as well. But, I mean, congratulations. 20 years is no small feat. And like I said, just coming in here for the very first time, it is super impressive. And uh, obviously we're blessed with a very, very lovely uh, summer's day. But to to the three of you, to Heather, Erica and Melissa, uh, for the meantime, thank you ever so much. Great, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, Paul, what got you interested? It's 20 years. You're like the longest running vendor at Coventry Farmers Market. What got you interested all those years ago? Well, I attribute it to um, stubbornness, uh, persistence, and a little bit of insanity. And what what have you seen change over the 20 years? Because, I mean, it's a big affair here, isn't it? Well, when we started, there was only about, I think, 14 or 15 vendors. And uh, now, of course, there was 75 or something like that. So it's changed, an adjustment, for, it's changed for, for a farmer, you know, when it first started out it was mostly farmers, and now I think we have maybe maybe eight or nine farmers out of the whole bunch, so it's changed, but it's still good. And what keeps you coming back year after year? I mean, as we said, 20 years, you've got a nice selection of, obviously, the stuff that you grow here, but, you know, what keeps you coming back? I love the market, I love the customers. Farming, of course, is kind of a, (laughs) it's an advocation as well as a vocation. And uh, we used to be strictly wholesale. I never met any of my customers. And now we don't do any wholesale and I have personal association with all of the customers, which which is, I love it. (laughs) Is it also important as well for people to see, you know, how and where their food is grown? Because too many people just go into supermarkets, pick up something and think nothing more of it course here they can talk to you a grower and find out about you know the challenges of of food well this this is the thing that i get a lot of questions and of course i have a lot of answers even if something might be wrong but that's okay uh but people are becoming more and more aware of uh, local sourcing of their food and um, we don't spray any of the vegetables or anything like that we grow tree fruit which we have to spray but we do it on a very limited basis. So I try and give them the healthiest product that I can give them. And um, I suppose really at the end of the day, you typify what a farmer's market is all about. Like you said, when you first started all those years ago, it was just you and the farmers, and now it's expanded. Are you excited to see that it has lasted so long? Uh, I'm, I'm a little ambivalent about you know what the market has become, but it's still successful, so... Why not? <laughs> well, it's been great talking to you and many more years of uh, being here at the market, sir. Well, I'm planning on it. I just planted a new peach orchard and I'm 77 years old. So there you go. <laughs> so this is Cato Corner Farm. Julia, thanks ever so much for talking to us. You're one of the other long-running vendors here at Coventry Farmers Market. What keeps you coming back here? Well, to be honest, we love the the people that come through it's always just a great time everybody's happy to be here you know you really you really can't beat it it's it's the company and the other vendors are really really cool as well so 
It's three hours every Sunday for 22 weeks, I believe. But you can get a lot of people come by you, can't you? Yeah, it's actually quite busy. I would love to take a walk around to the other vendors, but we really don't have too much time just because of how busy the line is. But again, you know, it's everyone's so friendly that comes through. So it's great having everyone always here. And how much setup does it involve for you guys each week? The market starts around 10. We usually get here anywhere from 8.30 to 9. We pretty much set up right until we start. Once you get into the rhythm of it, it goes pretty quickly. Takedown is also pretty quick. It's just a matter of going through all the steps and making sure everything's clean and good to go for everyone. Now, you're selling one of America's favorite products here, which is, of course, cheese. Just talk us through some of you, some of the ones which really like sell well. Yeah, so we have our aged Bloomsday, which is pretty popular. It's a sharper cheese. We have the Dutch Farmstead. A, a lot of our mild cheeses, honestly, are, are pretty popular. Our Womanchego is very, very liked throughout the market and just, you know, throughout our farm in general. And then we have some of our pasteurized cheeses, which also are a huge hit. Thank you ever so much for talking to us. We know you're busy, so we'll let you get back to, to selling, as I say, America's favorite product. Thanks for talking to us. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. Cherie Beausoleil. Of Soleil Bakery. Cherie, thanks for talking to us. Other than cheese, you're probably selling America's second most popular thing, which is baked goods. And you've also been coming in for like 20 years? Yeah, yeah. The, the bakery itself has been open for 11 years, and we've been coming to the market itself for 20 years. It's one of the best in, in the state, and we really enjoy coming out here. What keeps you coming back? The variety of vendors, the people, the volunteers, everyone. We just have a blast out here. And the other thing is, I mean, you know, you've got a shop front in in Woodstock. So obviously, you know, you've got a a base. But you're here for three hours every week for 22 weeks. But you get a lot of people go by you. Yeah, yeah. Well, my, my husband is still at the bakery right now baking for the actual bakery. We get there around 11 at night and start baking all the breads and pastry and everything. So it's a long process, but we're happy it's worth it to get out here for the three hours every week. I'm stopping you from your customers. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to let you like serve your customers, but maybe have a quick chat with a couple of them if you don't mind to like get their awesome. thoughts. But thank you ever so much. Thank Thanks you. for talking to us. You've come to get some baked goods. I have, yeah, I'm getting cookies. How far have you come today? Are you like a local? I'm from Stafford, so like 30 minutes away. That's not a bad drive then. So why do you make the drive out here? You know, what's the, what's the thing about Coventry Farmer's Market for you? I just like how it's just out in the middle of nowhere, and it's a nice drive. And it's a nice spot. Lots of really great vendors, so. And what are you hoping to buy today? We're at the Soleil Bakery Select Stand. So anything that you've got your eye on in particular? Yes, they're double chocolate chip cookies. Yeah. What's good about those? <laughs> Everything. See, that, that seems like a bit of a dumb question, but... Everything. They're so good. I love chocolate. The chocolate and then the other chocolate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah all the chocolate. What are your other so like, um, things that you like here at the bakery? I've actually never shopped here before. This booth would be a first for me. Is there anything taking your eye other than those chocolate chip cookies? All the breads. The Cabot Pepper Jack. I, I love Pepper Jack cheese, so that's very appetizing. And then what do you think of the, you know, the farmer's market in general? I mean, to me, this is my first time here, and it seems more like an agricultural fair because it's so big, it's so well organized. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely huge, definitely well organized. Um, I've only been here a few times, but I love it. I usually go to smaller markets, but this is great for a full day out with your friends or your family and, and support the local, local farmers and whatnot. It's a really fun time. Well, thank you for talking to me. I don't want to hold you back from getting your baked goods any further in case they sell out. So enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Nicola Poplin. 
tell us about Pop's famous guac. Well, I will tell you that I used to be an educator, and then I had a couple of concussions, could no longer do what I did, and I figured, well, God gave me lime, he's going to make guacamole. So I had some friends at my house. One day I made guac, and I found one of my friends behind the counter. She was doing that crouching tiger hidden guacamole bowl, scraping it with her finger, and that's when I knew. So, you know, I make guacamole. I have my family here. They help me sell it. I'm at all the farmer's markets, so this is my first year here. What made you want to come to Coventry, try Coventry? I mean, it's the biggest one, so it was that a draw? It's the guac de la guac, you know? It is. So I knew that I wanted to be here. And then when I finally got in and I came, I think it was like the second or third week and they asked me to come back and I almost did a cartwheel. If I could do a cartwheel, I would have done one. There's something about guacamole that's just so satisfying and comforting. It's one of those sort of comfort foods in a way, isn't it? I think so. But I also think it adds like a nice little zest to like, you know, any meal. So it elevates it. I think of it like the new condiment, you know, instead of ketchup, which is not good for you, mustard, mayonnaise, guacamole. It's healthy, great for the heart. Good for your nails, your hair, your skin, and it tastes delicious. Hello, can I come and talk to you for a second? I'm doing a podcast about this farmer's market, and I see you've got... What what is that? Carrots, garlic, um, red radish. So do you come here every week? Tell us us your story. Not every week. One time we came, me and my daughter, we've been uh, uh, reading about uh, Nathan Hale, so we've find uh, that his house was here in uh, Coventry so one day we decided to came and visit the house and we fall in love and since then we've been coming probably like every summer at least four or five times a summer. So where where do you come from? We're from Newington my daughter is getting her um, uh, lemonade. Okay so that's a little bit of a drive away then? Yes oh yeah we enjoy we love countryside we love this place. So you obviously think highly of it to, to make that drive. Oh, yeah. I mean, the history of Nathan Hale and, and his family and his upcoming, it's very important. What would you say to anybody who hasn't been to like a farmer's market or this one in particular? What would you oh, say gosh. to them? You will fall in love. It's, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. Being on a countryside and, and seeing all the people with the stuff. It's so much to see, so much to buy. Yeah, it's really nice. Thank you ever so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. You too. And Coventry Farmers Market has been recognised again by Connecticut Magazine, winning Best Farmers Market in the state in their Best of Connecticut Awards for 2023. Congratulations to them. To find out more about the Coventry Farmers Market, visit their website at coventryfarmersmarket.org. For details of their opening times and market themes each week, they're open every Sunday from now through to October. ask their parents a lot of questions. Why can't people fly? Gravity. Is the moon really made of cheese? Yep, cream cheese. When can I move into a big kid's car seat? Uh... For some questions, parents may not have the answer, but that's okay. They can't know everything, but knowing the right seat for their age and size will help protect them in a car crash. Find out more at nhtsa.gov slash the right seat. Where do babies come from? Good luck, Dad. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. It's hurricane season, and your trees can be damaged by high winds. Green Valley Tree has you covered with our emergency tree service outside of our regular business hours. We offer emergency tree service by bucket, crane, and climbing for residential, commercial, and even municipalities across eastern Connecticut. From full tree removals, uprooted or broken trees, to broken, hung up, or fractured tree limbs. Call our emergency hotline on 860-966-5710 or visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com. 
Time now for a look at other stories making the headlines this week, sponsored by... You may think you need to travel to large medical centers to get the latest cancer clinical trials. But at Eastern Connecticut Hematology and Oncology, or ECHO, we offer dozens of leading clinical trials, matching clinical trials to the needs of our patients and getting studies opened in just days, giving our patients the latest innovation in cancer care. To learn more about our cutting-edge research, visit echoassociates.org trials. A Connecticut group is working to reduce the growing trend of loneliness. Edwin J. Vieira from the Connecticut News Service has this report. The Connecticut Collaborative to End Loneliness, a part of For All Ages, is a compendium of public and private organizations aimed at reducing loneliness and isolation across the state. A 2021 study finds 24% of Connecticut's senior population is widowed, which can contribute to loneliness. This trend was only exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic lockdowns and has only gotten worse. Deb Bibbins is founder and CEO of For All Ages and describes how loneliness can set in. It really has to do with someone not having a sense of belonging. Depending upon your age and what your daily life is all about, for someone in high school, for instance, it may be that you feel that you're not being accepted into a friend group. Connecticut Senator Chris Murphy plans to introduce congressional legislation to address the current loneliness epidemic. Murphy notes that social media has a particular responsibility for creating loneliness, adding that online comments are slowly replacing in-person experiences. A 2023 study in health psychology and behavioral medicine found increased social media use is related to higher levels of loneliness. I'm Edwin J. Vieira. The town of Montville now has an independent police department and its first proper police chief, ending years of being part of the resident state trooper program. A vote by the local community back in 2022 finally decided the end of their reliance on state troopers and create the independent police force, which already has around 27 members. A recent ceremony was held at Montville High School, attended by local dignitaries, other local police departments and local residents, and saw the handover and their new police chief sworn in. Montville's new police chief is Wilfred Blanchette III, a retired state police sergeant who worked at Troopy in Montville and served as executive director of the Law Enforcement Council of Connecticut. Advocates for the changeover say the new police force will provide the town with better control, more predictable costs and a continuity in leadership. Previously, the mayor of Montville was technically the police chief, but the resident trooper assigned by the state police ran day-to-day operations of the old department. Mayor of Montville Ron McDaniel said of the new police department, it's time to stand on our own two feet. In the Connecticut Examiner this week, local Groton residents voiced their frustration with the town council, calling the council's inability to work together embarrassing and criticised the council for ignoring the recommendations of a committee meant to address concerns for how town-owned properties are handled. Residents criticised the council for pushing aside a draft policy for dealing with developers interested in town-owned properties, which they said gave the public more input than the one the council ended up approving in a recent 5-4 to vote. But their comments reflected longer-running tensions, accusing some members of the council of abusing parliamentary procedures to stifle dissent or discussion and for appearing to quiet debate on the contentious issue by scheduling a meeting on the night of July 3rd. Residents also criticised the council for holding long combative meetings that Property Reuse Committee member Lauren Gothier called embarrassing. She said it was embarrassing for the council to structure a vote to stop debate and weaponising decorum to stifle debate. 
In the Inside Investigator this week, the Connecticut Port Authority was granted its request for $30 million in additional state funding for the State Pier Project at a recent bond commission hearing, but they did not grant those funds without questions. This latest request came just over a year after CPA Board Chairman David Kouros assured the commission that his last funding request would be the final one. The State Pier Project has been plagued by cost overruns in the last four years, bringing intense scrutiny from local lawmakers, the public and the media. Initial estimates put the project at $90 million, which grew to $255 million. This latest round of funding puts the price tag now over $309 million. According to Kouros, the latest cost overruns are a result of unforeseen construction issues in the last 15 months. These were mostly what Kouros called deep obstructions or obstructions that are 60 or 80 feet below the waterline. Kouros told the commission that the CPA is much more confident in their cost projections this time around because the project is much further along. He said the facility is 70% completed and those sections have been turned over to their private partners. Sections of wind turbines have also been delivered recently to the pier and Gateway Terminal will begin assembly in the next few months. Corus reassured the commissioners by stating that in this current contract amendment with their contractor Kiwit, all but three elements had guaranteed maximum price tags and would not be subject to further overages. For the remaining three, Kouros stated that the CPA had an allowance of about $3.5 million and an additional contingency of about $6.5 million. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at Connecticut-East.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East This Week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms, on demand, and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East This Week podcast. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Thank you for listening.